Hey, Token CEO listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Does that make sense? Do you remember those guys that would get the huge containers of like muscle, protein, blah, blah, blah? I was that guy this weekend where I opened up a massive box from Sports Research and it was like filled with every flavor of collagen imaginable. Like I could probably exist solely on collagen alone at this point. Um, I love Sports Research. Sports Research brings this podcast to life for which we are very grateful. If you are interested in staying healthy, staying in shape, feeling and being your best, Sports Research has a bunch of products for you. You can get all of them at sportsresearch.com. And if you use code TOKEN, you can get 30% off the gallons of collagen, like the one sitting in my house. You can get Sweet Sweat, which is the secret that athletes are using to help them warm up faster, assist in recovery, and to make sure that they're finishing their workouts dripping in sweat. So if you're thinking about getting some Sweet Sweat, you can go to sportsresearch.com. They are giving away 150 sticks. So run, don't walk to sportsresearch.com. Put a sweet sweat, put a sweet sweat stick in your basket. Use code NRC at checkout. The first 150 people will get it for free. Today we're doing a solo episode, kind of. We're going to be talking about sports rights. I'm super interested in this in in IP in general, so brands, content in general. But then I'm also very interested in live sports. Obviously, most Americans are. Um, But I think it's interesting to understand the business behind live sports, to understand why they're so valuable, the role that they're playing in driving cable and linear television, as well as their streaming services. So to that end, I've asked my friend, Alan Gold, who's the founder and partner at Evolution Media Capital, which is a division of CAA. I've asked Alan to join me on the pod to talk about live rights. Small story, I went to drinks with a bunch of CAA guys probably like four or five months ago. It was like in the middle of COVID and you could like kind of eat out at a restaurant with a very small number of people. Anyways, we went to dinner and Alan joined and everybody else, I guess you're supposed to at these dinners have like idle chit chat and talk about like nice banal things, but I got a whiff of Alan's knowledge about sports rights and just completely grilled him for the, for not only dinner, but for drinks after dinner. And then after that, one of the guys from CAA was like, you realize you've just gotten millions of dollars of free perspective around sports rights. And I said, I know. So anyways, I wanted you guys to hear from Alan too. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. And if you like sports and like watching sports, you can get a little bit more insight into who's going to have what rights and how much they cost. So sports rights, let's just talk about, let's just talk about sports rights. So sports rights on average are over, I want to say they are a 20 to $23 billion business in the U.S. And that's an annual business. So let's start with the facts. Americans love live sports. There's a lot of countries that live, love live sports. We are no exception. And in fact, we are at the top of that list. The second fact is that live sports are keeping television alive. So As it relates to television, 6.6 million people are expected to cord cut by the end of this year. 44 of the top 50 watched programs on television, full stop, period, 
44 of the top 50 were live sports. So when you think about what is propping up television and what is keeping television alive, it's truly one thing. It's live sports. In 2021 and 2022, we are entering into a massive and very heavy rights negotiation period. The NHL rights came up this year. MLB rights will come up this year. NFL rights will come up next year, and EPL comes up next year. Obviously, for anybody who follows sports media, you'll know that the NHL has agreed to go to Disney. And ESPN, and I think a combination of ABC and then obviously ESPN2 and ESPN Plus will carry the NHL. I think it's the first time or the NHL is going back to Disney and to ESPN since 2004. So it has been a long time since ESPN had the NHL. Uh, There's a whole world that exists around that. There's a bunch of broadcasters coming back. I think people are excited for ESPN to have the NHL. People aren't disclosing how much the rights were for, but we are definitely going to ask Alan that question. He's probably not going to answer it, but we're going to try. So as it relates to the context of who's buying rights, so ESPN and Fox have the most rights as well as the most places to put them. That said, Viacom is also competing for rights, NBC is competing for rights, Warner Media is competing for rights, Hulu is competing for rights, and then you have the juggernauts on the other side of the table, Facebook and Amazon, who I think will have a massive, massive role in live rights going forward. So the interesting thing that is happening is essentially the cable TV networks and the linear TV networks are paying an exorbitant amount of money for rights. So one of the things that's happening in rights negotiations is that the fees are going up exponentially. So the NFL is rumored to be looking for double what their rights cost in their last negotiation. So so the inflation on live rights is extremely high. One, because the leagues all know that sports is driving television. Two, is because this is the number one source of revenue for those leagues. And three, the leagues understand that as television networks seek to keep audiences and simultaneously convert audiences to their subscription streaming services, there is predominantly one thing that's going to drive people there, and that's live rights. So when you think about what's happening with Viacom, Viacom's launching Paramount+. Plus. You think about Disney, Disney has ESPN+. Plus. NBC has Peacock. These networks are forced, are forced to make choices about how many platforms they're going to run and what the business model is around each one of these platforms. Rights is going to be critical to how they do that. People who follow sports media know that NBC is going to shut down NBCSN, which is their sports network, by the end of the year. They're going to move rights to other networks in the NBC Universal portfolio, so they'll move things to USA, and then they'll move things to Peacock. When you look at Viacom, Viacom's going to figure out, do they need to keep Turner? Do they need to keep TNT? How do they think about Bleacher Report? So in summary, what's happening at the TV networks is essentially they're saying, how do we keep people so that we continue to get our carriage fees? Two, how do we find stuff that can drive enough eyeballs so advertisers pay us for those viewers? And three, how do we use those rights to, to fuel our growth initiatives, which are the streaming platforms? So there's obviously the NHL. There's obviously MLB. There's obviously the NFL, which is the king of all, uh, the king of all leagues as it relates to rights. The other interesting thing that's happening is the networks are starting to think about 
more niche sports and cheaper sports so they can fill in the schedules and the bundles uh, for their streaming platform. So you look at last summer, the PLL was on NBC. I thought NBC did an awesome job with the PLL. Obviously, NBC was going to air uh, the NWHL final. So you can see the networks are starting to play with college. You can see they're starting to play with growth and emerging sports like lacrosse. You can see them testing new audiences like women's hockey. You know, will anyone watch women's hockey? What's going to be interesting to see is can these networks drive audience, get people to pay, and retain viewers by virtue of of supplementing big sports rights with more niche or more vertical sports rights? So what we're walking into, obviously, this year and in ne- and next year is you've got the media executives being like, we're not going to pay double. We can only pay this much. And then you've got the league saying, no, 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 you're going to pay double, triple, quadruple for the rights. There's a couple things that makes this interesting. One is I think you're starting to see people challenge the nature of a two-hour broadcast When you look at what the NBA did this year for just charging for the fourth quarter alone, that's very interesting. You're starting to see both the leagues and the networks get smart about when people tune in and how to package that for people and how to get people to pay for it. The other thing you're seeing, like in the case of NBC, is NBC has the EPL right. So NBC has said they're going to broadcast all soccer, but they're only going to do it on their subscription platform, which is they're forcing their consumer to subscribe to be able to get the games that they watch. Now, one of the things we're in this unique time, we're in this unique time in 2021, where if you are a rabid sports fan, you not only need to pay for the streaming service, but you also need to pay for linear television. It's not going to exist that way forever. We're in a small period of time. But to serve today's sports fan, if you truly love sports and you love to watch live sports more than anything else, you're subscribing to a lot of different platforms to get those sports. I think in the future, what you're going to see is that companies like Amazon and Facebook one, they'll be far savvier bid- they'll be far savvier bidders for rights, right? They're going to have way more data, they have way more money, they have way more insight, and they are able to slice and dice and package and price those rights in a way that drives other businesses. Amazon is the perfect example of this. Marie Donahue, she used to do rights negotiating rights negotiations at ESPN. She's now doing it at Amazon. She basically describes this as they're trying to get more people to subscribe to Prime. They're trying to get more people to buy your toothpaste, your deodorant, your soap, you name it, from Amazon. By getting you to watch sports, understanding what sports you watch, being able to manipulate or adapt that sports experience to increase engagement, increase viewership, just means you're spending more time with Amazon. They have more data on you. They can serve you more relevant products at more relevant times. And I think those are going to be ultimately the major competitors in the rights landscape. I think this next negotiation, 2021-2022, is going to be the last time you see is going to be the last time you see television networks on top of the heap in terms of who gets what rights. I think the next negotiation, which will be, I don't know, five, six, seven years from now, maybe 10 years from now, you're going to see a whole new set of contenders 
you're going to see a whole new set of contenders in the ecosystem. One thing interesting on Amazon is that Amazon created something called X-Ray. So when you think about Amazon as a platform and you think about how much data they have and how many services they provide, you think about AWS, right? You think about the cloud and how much data Amazon sits on and how much how much information Amazon is powering. They created something called Amazon X-Ray. They created Amazon X-Ray, which is really provides you statistics around the game. The thing that's going to happen on Amazon or Facebook or any digitally any digitally led platform is the level of personalization, the level of customization, and the level of adaptation that can be brought to live sports is going to increase dramatically. You can imagine watching a football game, a college basketball game, a soccer game on Amazon. You can listen to troops. You can listen to it in Spanish. You can listen to your favorite comedian. You could listen to men in blazers. The ability to create an immersive experience around the game is really something that's never been able to be done by virtue of the television format. And so I think that's going to get more exciting. It also is going to get more profitable because you think about sports betting and you think about the legalization of sports betting and you think about the ability to do that right as you watch the game. So I think live sports are incredibly interesting. I think they are a loss leader for most of the television networks because they're in a situation where they have to keep audience to drive their core business, which is advertising, and they have to have a reason to drive audience to new platforms. I also think in the future you're going to see the ability to not only have a first first screen experience watching sports and a second screen experience engaging with sports on your phone, you're going to see those two things converge in a way that will deepen engagement, in a way that will drive a ton of data, and in a way that will create new and ancillary businesses, not only for the platform or the network, but for the broadcaster and for the league itself. The other thing that I think is interesting is one of the things, you know, everyone is quick to blame the pandemic for changing consumption. I mean, the pandemic has done incredible things for the internet. When you look at the spike of time spent on your phone or time spent with a digital digital platform or time spent gaming and time spent watching news, entertainment, movies, documentaries, you name it, like the pandemic has had an incredible incredible impact. The other thing it did for sports is it put it kept the majority of sports fans on their couch. Nobody is going to sporting events. No one's been going to sporting events for over a year at this point. So it's really truly in my opinion been the perfect time to understand how to satiate the at-home viewer, right? Like one of the things you saw all of the leagues and the teams doing is finding the cardboard cutouts or finding the way to keep the broadcast interesting and the energy high without any fans. That's kind of a shitty job and a tough job. But the other thing that's really interesting is you saw what happens when fans, when the majority of your fans are at home. And my opinion is you've got to find ways to keep that broadcast super interesting very compelling and as deeply engaging as possible because it's hard when you don't have the crowd at a game and you can't go to a game it's hard to retain your fandom like your fandom wanes in addition as the experience becomes more anemic you saw it in Jimmy Pataro from ESPN Jimmy Pataro president of ESPN you saw it in his quote about the NHL is they have to grow the game they've got to find more casual fans they've got to find younger fans 
I think that's such a ripe opportunity for us. If you look at what Barstool Sports has done with Rough and Rowdy, you could care about boxing. You could not care about boxing. There's something about about a live experience where you don't know what's going to happen. And there's something about listening to people on the ones and twos, listening to people on the broadcast who you actually care about and who you're interested in what they have to say. My hope is that as more rights sit in more digital places, these companies will get more innovative and more compelling about how they make that broadcast experience dynamic or funny or data infused or transactional. And I think what you're going to see is that the big, you know, the big dinosaur companies, ESPN, NBC, Viacom, et cetera, they'll go a little bit of the way there. I think what you're really going to see is Amazon and Facebook and even maybe Hulu and others. You're going to really start to see them accelerate that. Before we talk to Alan, let's just have some self-care here. Now that we understand that rights are egregiously expensive, everybody wants more. It's a pressure cooker. Uh, everybody's going to be fighting over something. If you don't want to fight over things, you just want to take care of yourself. Care-of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals. What they do, which I love, is they create customized vitamins. I have this box on my desk. It's actually cute. I love the design of it. And better yet, they have great vitamins in there. So what's awesome about Care-of is that all of their products are formulated with clean ingredients. All of their products are backed by science, which is always helpful. And the thing that's great about them is they're super they're super transparent about what goes into their products and in particular into their vitamins. The other thing I like is that they're individual packets. I used to work for this woman who would make her assistants put like individual vitamins in like small Ziploc bags every day so she knew what to take morning, noon, and night. She like, she basically made care of by herself. Now there's a company that will do that for you. So what's great about Care Of is you take the online quiz, you tell Care Of what you need, what you're looking for, what your particular health situation is, and their experts recommend a vitamin pack for you, which you can have. It can sit on your counter in a very cute package, and you can be on your way to feeling great every day. So if you want to try Care Of, you can go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code TOKEN50. So you can get 50% off your first order, which I think is kind of a deal. You've negotiated $70 billion in rights, which is like fucking astronomical. So... And I was also telling the story about how we went all went to dinner, and then after we had dinner, Paul Danforth yelled at me for trying to get too much information out of Alan Gold. So <laughs> what I would love to hear, and I think what people would enjoy hearing from an expert and someone who is on the front line, is give us the broad strokes of what's happening in the rights landscape. Why does it matter? Why is this interesting? What's particular about the next two years and and the rights that are going to become available and who's going for them so like give us your give us your expertise on the space well thanks for having me and i think there's a tremendous amount of of stuff going on in sports media landscape i'll look at a few things there's basically 110 billion dollars of deals in aggregate coming into the market in the next five years of which there's of that of 64 billion alone is coming in between now and December 31st of 2022. So you have a tremendous money. You have the NFL, you have the NHL, you have a lot of soccer product conference, NASCAR, et cetera, all coming in the next five years or so. Some are sooner rather than later. You have consolidation going on in the industry. You have 
the buyers are consolidating. So you have Disney buying most of Fox's assets. You have AT&T buying Time Warner. You have Viacom, CBS merging. On the, on the less sort of uh, consumer-facing side, you have a lot of consolidation on the buyers in terms of the distributor side, which is you know, when we first started, there was probably seven or eight or nine major um, what's called an MVPD, which is the cable and satellite and teleco providers that everyone subscribes to. And now you're down to about four major ones that control 80% of the market. And then more for your for your fans, because in, in terms of the younger demo, it's a lot of cord cutting going on. I still am tethered and I have the triple play where I sit on my couch and I spend a couple hundred dollars a month paying for my video product and my broadband and my telephone product. But there's a lot of people out there saying, I don't need to subscribe to all of those. So now the market for pay TV, which once again is cable, satellite, telco, plus this new thing called the virtual MVPD, which I'll get to in a second, has gone from about 100 million homes down to about 85 million homes. And that's really been the golden goose for sports media because sports has always remained the top of the pyramid, whether it was radio or television or cable or satellite, sports has always found their way to be the top value uh, generator in each of those things. And now we're going from sort of this pay TV ecosystem into this more direct to consumer. So there's all this stuff that is going on. You have big, big content deals coming in. And, and I've been doing this for a long time. And this is the first time I've ever felt like the earth sort of moving under our feet because we are going through a sort of a seismic change. And do you, so tell me what each group in your opinion wants. So the leagues and the rights holders obviously want a premium. Everything that I've read is they're like, hey, I'm going to get a double what I got last time, right? I'm going to, I'm going to double it. I'm going to triple it. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the media guys and the media guys are like, eh, we're losing all our, we're losing our audience. We've got the advertisers on our backs about ratings and how much reach we're getting. They're also, I think, a little bit stuck. You know, we talked about before you got on 44 of the last 50 or 44 of the 50 biggest broadcast events were live sports. So these guys have to do the deal. Um, they can balk all they want about their shareholders, but like they're kind of fucked. They have to do the deal. Then you've got then you've got Amazon and Facebook and the big social tech platforms looming out there. And then I think you have this consumer where, you know, to your point, there is cord cutting. I think if you're a true sports fan right now, you have to overpay because you if you want to watch I tried to cord cut last fall and then couldn't watch a goddamn Patriots game like it sucked so if you are a sports fan right now you are overpaying but that said I think the other thing that's happening is because sports were so anemic this year you're starting to see other things become more attractive with people's time right gaming you name it Esports, etc. Yeah, exactly. So, do you think this is the last big heyday for rights, or do you just think? Because when I'm I'm hearing you, or do you think that it doesn't matter what the platform is, or what the paradigm is, sports is always going to be the king? Yeah, I'm more in the latter category. So I've always I've always loved Sean McManus's quotes. So for your fans who Sean runs CBS Sports. 
Sean says that, you know, they've been talking about a rights fee bubble since the mid 1960s. Um, so it's, it's an interesting time, but ultimately what you're seeing is, especially on the national side, the local side, which we do a lot of business with, whether it's Chicago Cubs or Dodgers, that's a different market than we're talking about national here. But in the national market, there's a lot of buyers looking for the content. And a, you know, when we do our, our analysis, we always talk about, we do all the quantitative stuff. We do all the analytics and we do all the stuff. What it really comes down to is the quantitative side is fine, but it comes down to what we refer to as the qualitative factors. Are there more buyers than packages out there? And as of right now, there are more and there are planning to be even more buyers coming in. So what we've seen is that the legacy media companies they know how to drive value out of sports, whether that's CBS or ABC, ESPN, NBC, Fox, et cetera. And in the markets that we've seen, whether it's the recent deal we did for uh, WWE, moving WWE Network into the Peacock, or working with uh, Gary Bettman and supporting Gary in terms of the most recent deal with, with ESPN for the half package for the NHL, is that the legacy media companies are going to be very, very aggressive with their digital extensions. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is Peacock, ESPN Plus, Paramount Plus. Maybe Fox will start getting you know, aggressive with uh, Tubi. Versus everyone talks about the fans, which is you know, the fans of uh, uh, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Apple, um, Google. Netflix, Google. Yeah. And Amazon is rumored to be the lead, maybe the exclusive bidder for Thursday Night Football. I think when we talk to uh, our friends in the legacy media companies, it didn't seem like the legacy media companies were that interested in Thursday Night Football. So this could be the first breakthrough for an exclusive package for Amazon. We'll see if they are going to be sharing rights with the NFL Network or not. Amazon has done a very, very good job in Europe. Um, they've, they've dipped their toe in with a lot of uh, tennis and they have an EPL package in the UK. Apple's always been rumored to, to do stuff. Facebook has come and gone. But ultimately, I think everyone is waiting for the fangs. I think that they're going to continue to wait for the fangs, mm -hmm. except for maybe this, this NFL um, deal. We'll see what else is going to pop. But the traditional media companies continue to be aggressive as we shift from linear into the more direct-to-consumer world. And they're going to hedge their bets. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they don't want the fans getting involved. They like their business. They're happy with their business. The business is changing. But obviously, the fangs have tremendous amount of capital sitting behind them. But to date, um, they've more dabbled in sports instead yeah. of majors in sports. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the fangs – so, look, I think it's smart. You know, I – I, I obviously saw the WWE Peacock thing from from a different seat with WWE. You see, you know, and it's smart where the WWE has created an incredible brand with incredible characters with massive events. They're not in. They're not trying to build, be a technology company. They're not trying to win the who has the best streaming platform. Make partnering up with Peacock makes a ton of sense. I also think, you know, every conversation, I, I literally, for anyone listening to this, I call Alan like once every, I don't know, two months. And I'm like, could I get some shit football game in the Midwest? Could I get the rights to it? And Alan's like, dude, you're like five years too late. Like, 
ESPN <laughs> has bought up everything and you know AB- NBC has bought up everything CBS has bought up everything so I also think the thing that's happening is that the legacy companies are taking big bites at the Apple and then they're also taking a lot of little bites and I think what you're seeing with the PLL is that they're trying to figure out you know how do you package all these things together what I always look I follow MTV and I always look at the MTV programming posts. And when I look at the MTV programming posts, it's just, a, you know, I don't know how many hours there are in a week. That's a good question for us. But it's a, it, you're airing ridiculousness, like, the entire fucking time. Right. I do think that the, you know, the big stalwarts in legacy media understand how to take rights and parlay other opportunities, highlight packages, add deals. They use them to drive tune-in. I think right. when, when you look at the fangs, they don't get content. They don't have a heart for content. I think they probably have a bunch of quants in like on the West Coast somewhere who are like, why would you pay for that? That makes no sense. And so I think that's also the rub of like East Coast or, you know, L.A., New York, people you know, Atlanta, like people who love content and who understand how to foster and nurture content businesses versus big technology, which I also think is going to be a tension in this. I always, in our presentations, I mean, I love the TV show, The Americans. I don't know what service it's on. Is it on Hulu? Is it on Netflix? HBO Max? I don't know. Sports resonates. You'll know exactly where to be able to find it. So I believe in the future, you're going to have even more money put into scripted content, original scripted content for all of these services. And sports is going to uh, become an even bigger role in these over-the-top services. Everyone saw in the see where Netflix is. Netflix is in the premium content business to date. I don't think they have an interest in getting into sports. We'll see. HBO Max obviously has March Madness. They have some baseball playoffs. They have... Uh, they have um, NBA and obviously ESPN Plus and um, I'm sorry, I lost the video feed, That's but also you know, ESPN, hope you can still see me, but ESPN yep. Plus understands obviously where they're going and, and they're going you know, global with this and Peacock and their success with the, with the EPL. It's going to, it's going to be interesting to see which, who's going to win in this race. Is it going to be scripted content alone? Or I'm a big believer in a lot of these services are going to have scripted content combined with uh, tentpole sports. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think about, so there's a lot of discussion around the MLB rights, which my understanding are also up this year, and that they are going to be at a decrease. And obviously, like, I have a lot of opinion about, I mean, baseball, if you are a 20-something, like, baseball is just tough. The players aren't marketed particularly well. The seasons are excruciatingly long. The games are excruciatingly long. Nobody cares about anything. It doesn't really become a national story until playoffs. So how how do you think about what is it that the leagues need and the rights holders need? Like, I think they all need young viewers who care, which of is course. where a company like, like us come in. But how do you see, you know, how do you, how do you see the league or the rights holders so baseball, and we have a lot of good friends. I'm sure many of them listen to this to this podcast. So baseball has two thirds. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Noah does. Uh, uh, two thirds of their deals are done. So they already did an extension with Fox, and they did an extension with Turner. 
So their last remaining package was with ESPN. It's been reported. I don't know if it's true or not. It's been reported that ESPN will be paying less than what they currently uh, are paying. Um, but also at the same time, my understanding is if there is going to be a down round, there's also less programming here, mm-hmm. which would allow MLB to go and cut another deal. Everyone is is fighting for you know, the youth of it. And that's the reason why you know, we also do a lot of work for Riot Games and Activision Blizzard and eSports. And that's a whole separate conversation about those are the hardest of hardest fans to be able to find because many of them don't belong uh, to in, in the pay TV bundle uh, or, or don't subscribe to it. And many of them don't watch sports. But on the traditional stick and ball, everyone's trying to go younger. And that's the reason why they're all going with these direct-to-consumer offerings, which obviously has a, a younger sub-base than a traditional uh, linear business. Baseball is trying very, very hard and doing their best to try to shorten the game and have it become uh, more contemporary and not just relying on it being America's pastime. I mean, from representing the NHL, we also represent MLS. And they're, they're – um, their, their demos are much, much younger, much more tech-savvy than compared to other stick-and-ball sports. That's interesting. So what do you think about the – can you talk about the NHL negotiation with ESPN? Like, tell us the story. Yeah, so, no, it's it's still ongoing. Uh, we work with Gary, who's, who's leading the charge. Uncle Gary, as I call him. I love Gary. Gary has uh, been phenomenal um, to work with, and – and uh, ESPN was in the deal that was announced last week. They were uh, incredibly excited about bringing the NHL back to to ESPN. And a large part of that deal was obviously having the traditional over-the-air media with ABC and ESPN involved. But what's interesting and new for this deal is that there's going to be a lot of programming that's going to be residing exclusively on ESPN+. Plus in Hulu. So I think it's sort of the first of, 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 of the deals that's going to be sort of the, the model, I believe, for future rights deals going forward. And uh, I think ESPN and Jimmy and Burke and, 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 and Bob Chapik and, and everyone else involved with it are very, very excited. And now um, Gary and team, including myself, are trying to figure out the, the second package. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interest in it from legacy media companies as well as digital and hopefully we'll have an update in the next month or so and then do you think nbc is sad i think nbc is uh, they've been had a great great partnership from it i mean stuff like this happens i I don't know if they thought that uh that there were viable um competitors out there but our job is to always try to create a, a, a marketplace and to have our client uh make make an educated decision and i thought espn's um uh, offering was uh, incredibly compelling. And I think Gary's on the record many, many times is that we hope to remain uh, with NBC. They've been a great partner, not only in the past, but hopefully in the future. Uh, talk talk a little bit about the Activision Riot games. Like, do you see in the future that uh, linear network, I mean, you don't really even see this, which is YouTube, you know, one is I think YouTube and Google are a dark horse that nobody really talks about. Everybody talks about Amazon, but nobody really talks about YouTube. I think YouTube is is going to be an interesting place. I think that YouTube has completely cornered the market on the Activision, Roblox, you know, really the, I would say, 8 to 15-year-old set who are just watching video gaming. 
Do you think that the legacy guys will ever want to get into that game? So it's it's a great one, and and we've been at it for probably six years now uh, in esports, and we were really trying to figure out the entry point um, to who to represent because that's our business is representing valuable content and trying to monetize it to the best to the best of our abilities. And we're going around and then we met with Riot Games and immediately we knew like we, this is the company we, we want to represent. And this was in the early days. And um, what's interesting about esports, and then we just worked with uh, Overwatch and, and uh, Call of Duty and did their deal um, with, with Google. I'm a big believer in the future of esports and the media value. The reason why it's at relatively small levels today is that it's a truly global phenomenon when you talk about esports. and you could do stuff regionally you could do stuff by country by country or more likely it's it's type of a global deal and right now the market is pretty much cornered by two fangs one is amazon slash twitch which has built a multi, multi-billion dollar market cap off of valuable content. Um, and then you have YouTube, Google. And I think the only way the values are going to truly be driven, because I said before, it's the hardest of hardest fans mm-hmm. to get. Paul Danforth and, and, and Rod DeAngelis and Slocum and, and Adam Sloan and, our, and, and CA Sports are, are really crushing it on the sponsorship side because sponsors, they understand these are the fans I can't get to. And they will pay a premium to be able to get in front of uh, eSport fans. But to really drive the market is that you need to have a lot of competition in the market, especially on a global basis. And right now, Peacock is a U.S. company. ESPN Plus is a U.S. company. Yes, Disney is is going abroad with Disney Plus, and they have a lot of their subs around the globe and a lot of subs from Star. Until the market, these big, big media companies then become global, and they understand that this is incredibly valuable content that is, you know, 24-7, you know, in the 12 months a year, that's when I think the values are really going to go because – Twitch doesn't want to spend anything more than they absolutely have to. I don't I mean, most media companies do that, but unless they're really, really pushed, it's going to be sort of a good market, not a great market. Same thing with YouTube, because they're not used to spending super premiums on, on content unless you start getting these legacy media companies involved in their OTT extensions on a global basis. I, I agree with you. I think before I did Barstool, we had a startup. I had a startup in music, and you could see how much value Twitter and Facebook and Google took from mu- music artists but didn't give anything back. And right. there was, frankly, there were, weren't even contractual relationships between the two. They were like, oh, Justin Bieber, you're posting all over our platform. We will create all sorts of cohorts. We'll sell all sorts of advertising we will model this this demographic. We will super serve them with other stuff 
they don't even talk to Justin Bieber about that, right? And that has propelled the growth of those platforms. And now right. you obviously, they're, they're doing this for average people, right? Like that's the genius of these platforms is mm-hmm. they've made you the star and then they're going to, you know, manipulate your data, your audience, your fans to make money. If you have that, why do you need the NFL, right? right. So I think that I, I agree with you. I think the DNA shift is interesting. I also think, you know, despite what people say, when you have traditional legacy people go into those companies, they become kind of lost because they're one in a sea of thousands who right. are primed and conditioned for a business. You know, you're building a business on the back of an asset you get for free. Right. And that's the difference. In the rights business is you're building a business off of an asset, which is a jewel. Exactly. And it's built for a portfolio versus a lot of the tech companies just look at the, the absolute you know, silo version of how much are we paying and how much are we producing in ad sales and incremental. It's, you know, it's, it's based on and see where Amazon is probably the best position because they just don't have one revenue stream. It's just not advertising. It's not like doing a deal with CBS or ABC like 20 years ago where they had one revenue stream is how much ad sales. Yeah, it's super do. easy. The math is not hard. It's pretty basic, but when you have so many different revenue streams that can go into monetizing this content, I do believe the fangs will eventually get there. Yeah, I agree. But it's going to be choppy, and it's not going to be the panacea that all of these rights holders have thought Mm -hmm. is going to be there during this rights cycle. I think whether it's, I think we're going to have a pretty good idea in the next couple of years of whether the fangs are going to be involved in this cycle or else you're going to wait another 10 years. Yeah, that's right. The next cycle deals that come through. Right. That's interesting. And how do you think the rights, like how do people grow the game? Like I, I think that that's, it, it's funny when, when the getting is good and you can get twice the premium, you don't really have to grow the game because it's really not your problem because you've, you've, you've bought your house and the vacation house and the house after that. But I think long-term it's a way bigger challenge for, for the rights holders that they, and this is a, it's interesting to watch this because I think in the same way that the fang companies don't have the appetite or the fortitude for content, for the mess that is content, content is a pain in the ass it's expensive, it's cumbersome, something goes wrong all the time, then you have talent and personalities, like, it's a job. But I think the rights holders, I I think the deficit on the rights holder side is that they're not thinking enough about nascent platforms to grow stars, to grow personalities, to grow affection, to grow engagement. And I think that's dangerous come 10 years from now. I think it's, I think the leagues from sitting in a lot of the boardrooms that of the leagues that you were just talking to, it is number one or number two agenda item. I mean, obviously, the, most leagues are in the licensing business, meaning I want to license you our rights for X number of years. I want you to pay me as much money as possible, and I want to get as much exposure as I can. And the NFL is the king at it and i mean i i beginning my career i worked there and i saw it firsthand of where it's gonna be interesting because we talked about cord cutting and consolidation and and um the number of uh pay tv subs declining but the nfl is going to be most of their games are going to be on over the air television meaning cbs and fox and nbc 
So they're still going to be in the 110 million households going forward. Yes, they're going to dabble with Amazon on one side. And obviously, you know, the, the, the person paying the most is going to be ESPN for most likely Monday night football. But the NFL is the master of generating as much money, but also keeping as much exposure out there. Because as the number of cable TV households declines, your audience gets smaller and smaller. And that's what everyone is, 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 is fighting. But the leagues would love to be in business with nascent, younger demos. But a lot of it comes down to the licensing revenue of ESPN will this and they want to totally. have it. They box themselves revenue. in, right? Like I'd love or, to do or, it too. Or, or, yeah, or many of these media companies. But I think like, and I think, you know, you, you talked about it before. WWE does a phenomenal job mm-hmm. in social media and keeping it relative, keeping it you know real to everyone mm-hmm. and keeping it young and, and really pushing out their content. And those are really, really hard negotiations that Vince and Stephanie and, and others well before my time push through because it's very unusual to keep all of their highlight rights and to, and to really be able to have real-time social media going out. That is definitely much more the exception hmm. than the rule. And I think a lot of the leagues look at WWE and they say, WWE is perfect. Like, we know our audience. We know what they want. We can drive viewership at the same time. You need to trust us, media partner, because we're going to push everything out and drive viewership. Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of people are learning through that process because most of the networks don't want that. They 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 want they don't want any highlights being pushed out real Completely. time. They want everyone watching TV. Yep, so smart. All right, Alan, that was awesome.